This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did Christmas in the 1980s gift us with quirky songs? Throw a log onto the fire and let's unwrap this one. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s from a couple of idiots. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of... A couple of... Uh, Christmas... <laughs> a couple of... Uh, at-home Christmas music producers? <laughs> Aficionados? <laughs> Something like that. Okay, yeah, sure, that. Today on the show, speaking of that, what a coincidence. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about unusual, odd, quirky Christmas songs from the 1980s. Yep, that's the plan. I mean, it's quite a collection of different things. Some of them are controversial. Some of them are wacky. It's, I got to tell you, most of them, I think, are pretty good, though. Yeah, there, there's there's one... Yeah, the, the, the worst, probably the worst Christmas song I ever heard. Oh, my God. I, well, okay, we'll talk about it in a moment. <laughs> Woo! So, hey, before we get to any of that, don't forget to like, rate, review, subscribe, comment, do all the different things you can to help the internet recommend uh, the idiots to other people. It's all this, I don't know, what do they call those things? Uh, Algorithms. In this time of giving, give the idiots to somebody. The listening experience. Yeah, and you can also um, get a t-shirt for your mailman instead of stuffing money in an envelope. (laughs) Yeah. They would love an idiots t-shirt to wear around the house. All right. Hey, let's get caught up on 80s news. Today on 80s news, it could almost be uh, 80s movie news because there's so many stories about upcoming films that are somehow connected to the 1980s. First off, since it's, you know, we're just embarking now upon the Christmas season because Thanksgiving's behind us, right? So even in, even in Halloween, they had the Christmas stuff out already. <laughs> so we're in the Christmas season though here, at least that we can say, certainly being after Thanksgiving. So this, I think, to me anyway, Ray, I know you still haven't seen the first one, but I consider this somewhat of a Christmas gift. We learned that, uh, according to Variety.com, audiences will get to see Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day because Warner Brothers has announced that this sequel will be streaming on HBO Max on Christmas. It'll also be in some U.S. theaters on that same day. But hey, you don't even have to go out, leave your home, and in, in Cleveland, possibly drive through the snow. You could just stay home and watch it from your couch. Yeah, I finally did watch the first one. It was oh, pretty did? good. Oh, yeah. good. It's among the better of the DC movies because some of them are kind of lame. Yeah, I don't know where it ranks, but it was good enough. Variety says that this is the decision to forego a traditional theatrical release is surprising because it was expected to be one of the biggest films of 2020 with the potential to surpass $1 billion in ticket sales. But what do I mean it's surprising? We, we already did this experiment with um, Tenet where, you know, Christopher Nolan was going to bring back the movie industry and it didn't work. So as of November, when this story came out, I don't see how it could be surprising that they're going to do this. I guess maybe it's a surprise they're not going to wait and hold out until next summer, like uh, mm-hmm. Top Gun Maverick is, for example. I suppose in that sense, it's a surprise. I don't know. Yeah, I think the surprise is just that it's not going to be in a theater. I, I, I think that's the big surprise on this one, because this would have been a blockbuster, and they probably could have held it till next year, but... I'm sure they have other movies they got to, you know, push out too. So yeah, something's got to give. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's going to be, it is going to be in theaters if you want to go that way. But if it's, if it, it's going to be on HBO Max, you got to pay money to get HBO Max. So 
hey, they're not, they're foregoing some of the box office, but it is a way to drive this, you know, new channel. I don't even know how HBO Max works. You know, I've got Hulu already, and supposedly HBO Max is part of it, but then you go to watch something, and it's like, you need to pay extra for the this one. You have HBO hmm. Max, but not the HBO Max Max. Oh, yeah, that's the dirty movies. You always have to is pay extra for oh. those. Yeah. <laughs> now, those you can get for free. <laughs> Anywhere, on, I'll teach you about this later. Yeah. But- I don't even know how to get it. I, I might have it. Or maybe I have to pay extra money. But I'm willing to do that, though, because I am excited about this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, in other 80s news, speaking of films coming to streaming, I kind of feel a little bit mixed about this, but uh, I guess if I'm excited about seeing Wonder Woman from my couch, I've got to be excited about seeing Coming to America. Just a short time ago, we were hearing negotiations were going on where Paramount was looking to sell the film, and the rumor was that it was likely Amazon, and likely it was still going to be released on December 18th of this year, but now we've learned that, yes, Amazon's got the rights to it, but uh, we're not going to be able to see it until March 5th, 2021, and it will be available on Amazon Prime. Maybe they're going to take the extra time and fix this thing and make it R-rated, mm. like the first one. Maybe that's the holdup. I was trying to remember what you, uh, yeah, what, what you had an issue with, but yeah, right, mm-hmm. right, right. Anyway, look, it's at least we know when we're going to get to see it. A lot of our anticipation was sort of, you know, diminished or you know, sort of dampened. It was sort of a wet blanket tossed over our lives with the fighting this virus. But part of it was I was so excited when we started talking at the beginning of the year about all these movies that were coming out. It was going to be like a resurgence of 1980s films. 2020 was going to rival like 1984, maybe. And now everything's been pushed off. So. It's good to at least get some dates. Yeah. The problem with this is, is that now expectations are growing and growing and growing the longer we have to wait. Yeah. So now anything short of excellent Mm. is going to be a letdown now. Yeah, that's probably true. There was some momentum behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now with all this hanging around. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, when a band takes four years to put out their next album Mm. and you're just waiting for it and waiting for it. And then it finally comes out and you're like, I waited so long for this and it's, not great. I never did listen to Chinese Democracy. Was that any good? It's not great. <laughs> it took way too long. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that is true. Okay. Hey, uh, in other 80s news, we've got a new segment that I want to, that we're introducing today, and that's called... You've got to be kidding. <laughs> I love the title. I love the title of this one. This is the new segment where they talk about stuff related to the 1980s that's like, really... I mean, look, all the stuff we talked about so far, we're looking forward to. It's, you know, somehow connected to the 1980s. There's other stuff that's related to the 1980s. And it's just like, really? According to Deadline, Apple is moving forward to make Tetris the movie. <laughs> and that sounds terrible right there. You, I immediately picture, uh, was it Pixels? You know? See, I love Pixels. Yeah, yes. And Pixel, if it were going to be that, maybe it would be good. But I do picture giant yeah. blocks falling down to the earth and we have to. Yeah. Now, it's not even that. That might now I'm starting to think. First, I thought if it's that, it's going to be bad. It's not even that. It says, according to Deadline, again, this is the story of the groundbreaking video game, and it has uh, Taron Egerton, who's in uh, uh, one of those movies where it's like a gentleman something, and he's uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if something happens. No, it's uh, it's those ones with Colin Firth, and it's like a you know, it's like a secret agent type organization. Yeah. He's what is that called? I feel like you know you're just not telling me so I could make a fool of myself. I, I have no idea. I don't, you know what I'm, I'm talking about? Big, hmm. I'm not a big fan of that guy, so. All right, well, all right. You must but have seen these movies. Is it the story of him coming up with it? So there's a lot of scenes of him just sitting in his bedroom? No. See, that's what I'm saying. So it's not shapes attacking the earth. It's not the story of the developer. No. Instead, 
Egerton is playing Hank Rogers, a Dutch video game designer who first secured the rights to distribute Tetris on consoles. He was heavily involved in a dispute that arose over the franchise's copyright in the 1980s. This this sounds awful. <laughs> right? I would be more into it if it was um, the story of how the Russian guy yeah. created it and like had to build his own computers and like the government kept coming to his house and he's hiding under the floorboards. <laughs> like just completely make up the backstory. I mean, I don't care. Yes. Just give it, you know, make it exciting. They do this all the time. He has to hide himself behind a wall, but the bricks are like unusually shaped. So he has to fit them right. together. Right. And that's, you know, that's the idea that he comes up with because he's been in hiding. It's like a beautiful yeah. mind. He starts seeing how the pieces fit right. together. I mean, they do this all the time. It's called based on a true story. Yeah, no. Like they, they literally do it all the time. Hey, maybe this story is like super exciting, but right now it sounds like a uh, legal drama, which, you know, those could be good, but about the rights over the, <laughs> to, over the distribution of Tetris. <laughs> now it does say that uh, the guy, the software engineer who created Tetris, the a Russian gentleman named Alexei Pajitnov, he is going to, that character is going to be portrayed in the film. We don't know who's going to be playing that. And there's some other folks that'll be cast as well, but yeah, it's, it's following this Dutch guy we've never heard of. So, okay. That was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Hey, like we mentioned today on the show, we're going to be talking about 1980s Christmas songs that are wacky, crazy, controversial, but most of them are pretty good. I think, you know, musically speaking, right? Yeah. There's a couple on, the, on our list here that are not fantastic. Yeah. So we're not going to be talking about, do they know it's Christmas? No. That's a popular song. Some people consider it controversial. We talked about that several episodes ago. You can look that up. There are some reasons folks take issue with that. And there's also plenty of other songs that you may consider, you know, hey, these guys don't know about this one and it's weird or whatever. Like that Wham! song, Last Christmas, it's all yep. about the murders. <laughs> what? Isn't that what it's about? Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. Oh, no. And the very next day, you... <laughs> I never heard that. Yeah. Uh, so no, yeah. Look, if you got a song, let us know about it. Shoot us an email at info at the idiots pod.com or visit our website where there's a form. You can send us a suggestion, something we missed. Yeah, or find yeah, us on yeah. Let, let, let's play a clip. Okay. Let's, let's have fun with it. All right, here we go. It's Christmas in heaven. There's great films on TV. The sound of music twice an hour and Jaws one, two, and three. There's gifts for all the family. There's toilet and brains. There's Sonny Rockman headphone sets and the latest video games. All right, Monty Python can do no wrong. So okay. I say this one's good. Yeah, it's Christmas in Heaven by Monty Python, which, which is a song from The Meaning of Life. It's the last number there in the film that came out in 1983. I got to tell you, seeing the, you know, I watched a clip of it from the movie, seeing <laughs> Graham Chapman made up like Tony Bennett really yeah. freaked me out. He's got yeah. those big fake teeth and like the kind of curly hair. That so much so that even just hearing that right now, it makes me feel uncomfortable. That's the part that made you uncomfortable? Not Graham's <laughs> outfits in that scene? <laughs> That's so funny. I forgot about that. <laughs> You know, so yeah, so he Graham Chapman, unright recognizable as a as Tony Bennett, and he also sings the song there. Appears with uh, numerous, uh, what it says, like countless, like dozens of women that are dancing along, you know, beside him, dressed in sort of Santa Claus outfits, but with breasts showing, and they're clearly <laughs> fake breasts; they're plastic breasts. I found online it said uh, the story goes is that one of the dancers would not appear topless. 
So then they came up with this idea of having everyone have fake breasts poking through their costume. I can't imagine, because it really was like two dozen maybe women at one point, maybe, mm-hmm. that they wouldn't just say, all right, well, then we'll just have one less dancer if we can get all of the rest of them <laughs> topless. And there's got to be another explanation. Maybe you can't have that many naked breasts in one scene and get an R rating still. I don't know. But, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That seemed unusual, but not. It seemed like, yeah, okay, that makes sense in this sort of bizarre world. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the scene in uh, Sid and Nancy when he does the My Way video. Hmm. That, that that whole scene reminds me of that because you got the staircase. Right. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, yeah, yeah. It's like a fantasy. This, this, yeah, this was, in, this was like Monty Python's version of that. Yeah. And the story goes that, at least in this point in, in the film, it's supposed to be that all these characters we've seen throughout the movie now are in heaven. But I read one theory that based on how the lyrics go, which he's singing about heaven, but heaven is very materialistic. Um, you, you know, you're happy because you have certain things. Like the, the, the lyrics just said something about having everyone gets a Sony Walkman and the latest mm-hmm. video games. That they're probably really in hell. Hmm. I don't know. Who really cares? It's Monty Python. Yeah, it's, I don't think they know. I mean, it was yeah. It's a fun movie. I don't. It's not my favorite Monty Python, but it's definitely no funny. It's it's not my favorite either, but I enjoy it. So, yeah. all right. Uh, okay. Here is another of uh, again unusual Christmas song that came out in the nineteen eighties. I like that beat. I feel like this is what our band would sound like. <laughs> yeah. Christmas with the devil. It's gotta be a hell of a party. It got them down as low as a possible before they even started. So I, I cut out the first two and a half minutes. Maybe I shouldn't have. Where it's just yeah. a cacophony of instruments playing and. Uh, I think this not only might be the worst Christmas song ever written, this might be the worst song ever written. (laughs) This thing's 10 minutes long and it's not, not any of the parts are good. Like at some point you have to go, I think we cut down to this uh, four minutes because it's crap. Yeah. Like, let's just make it shorter. Why are we doing a 10 minute garbage song? (laughs) Yeah. And the first, again, the first two and a half minutes are just like a cacophony of instruments playing all at the same time (laughs) and him telling the story of sort of, uh, what happens, I guess, what he's building <laughs> and, up to in these lyrics. Yeah, and for those who don't know, that is Christmas with Satan by right. James White. Yeah, who's later known as James Chance. And, you know, to your point about, they couldn't have made this better. This song appeared on a 1982 re-release of a Christmas record, which was originally re- released in 1981 from ZE Records. And they took off a couple of tracks from the original version to make space for this. Do you think this asshole really thought like, I don't understand why this didn't do better. So let's re-release it and get some of these other songs that are way worse than this one. Get them out of the way because this thing's amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I'm more offended by this song than yep. Gary Glitter's antics. His uh, uh, unrecorded antics? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awful. I'm going to disagree with this you. Song, this song is that bad. Yeah. One one review, this reviewer described it as a droll, blasphemous, nearly tuneless piece of scrunk. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Yes, especially the skronk part. Yeah. All right, let's listen to a better song than that. How about this one here? Once a year, my 
friend puts on a red suit and hangs around with me and my wife. Now I can't help but feeling jealous each time she climbs on his knee. This song is so funny. Uh, so this is Santa's Beard by They Might Be Giants, which was originally released on Lincoln in 1988. It appeared again on a 2001 album called Holiday Land by They Might Be Giants. I, I like this song musically. It yeah. kind of still sounds new wavy, even though it's coming out in the late later in the 80s. It's hilarious what it's about. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that this song is perfect as a Christmas song. I, I don't know why it's not played on the yeah. radio. <laughs> like this is one I'd forgotten about. Yeah, <laughs> and. Listening to it again today, when I when it popped into my head, I was like, "That's a great song." Yeah, and it's funny, and it's it's just really good. Yeah. So it seems clear that it, it, this guy's wife is cheating on him with whoever Santa Claus is, and you know, I was thinking at first I was thinking it's the real Santa, but when they get to the lyrics, it's <laughs> part of the song. You start seeing that his his wife is now wearing Santa's beard. <laughs> yeah. Which is the title of the song, of course. So then I was like, all right, well, it's not. It's like somebody that his wife is running around with who dresses as Santa. Oh. Side, side note, They Might Be Giants has this phone number that from the 80s that yeah. you could call and you could get a new song from them every day. What? Yeah. Is it still going now? I don't know. I'll look it up and I'll put it on the Facebook page for anybody who wants to call it if it's still active. But mm. yeah, they used to just sit in their apartment making a new song every day and just put it on this answering machine. No kidding. Yeah. That's a great little, you know, challenge themselves as artists to try to be creative like that every day. Yeah. Speaking of Santa Claus, let's hear another Santa-centric uh, tune here. Oh, this is Santa Claus saying I won't be around this year. I'm a bit sick. <laughs> Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. And he won't be around to spread his Christmas cheer. The reindeer all look blue They know what he's going through Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year I think the best line it actually I just cut out He won't be yelling out ho 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 But he'll be screaming out no 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 <laughs> I like this one I think it's funny Yeah But in a in a way that's it's because of I don't think he understood what he was writing at the time yeah. Which makes it even more funny. So this is Tiny Tim. In 1985, Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. I, th I thought it was earlier than that. No, it's 85. Yeah, see, I think <laughs> we knew more about funnier. AIDS by then. <laughs> That's even funnier. <laughs> I think we had already lost Rock Hudson by then. We Obviously, we had the acronym AIDS. Uh, <laughs> we knew that yeah. stood for something bad. Autoimmune yeah. deficiency syndrome. I saw someone go so far as, and look, the, the late great Tiny Tim has is, is left us a long time ago. So I would almost think that this was his publicist or someone working for him. But on songfacts.com, someone looks like they went, went out of their way to defend him, writing that Tiny Tim was actually referring to AIDS, A-Y-D-S, a candy <laughs> bar that was marketed as an appetite suppressant. The commercials for it now are comically Tragic or tragically comic, because they talk about people lose weight with AIDS. Yeah, wow. Well, so, yeah, but Tiny Tim should have known by then, you know. I, I think maybe he's just a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and his sense of humor was just what it was, and now they're trying to cover up for him. And it's trying to think, like, you know, folks say, like, Tiny Tim was this innocent sort of dude, and, you know, but going against that is he wrote this song. And then the flip side of this on a single that was released, the B-side, was She Left Me With Her Herpes. <laughs> 
He knew exactly what he was up to. And the lyrics of the song are how a woman gave him herpes and then he gave it to the cat who gave it to the dog, who gave it to the mouse, who gave it to a bird. It's hmm. kind of some weird, you know, she swallowed the spider to catch the fly kind of thing. <laughs> so maybe maybe he did have a childlike understanding of sexually transmitted diseases. I don't know. I don't know. Do we have a song from him about syphilis? <laughs> he couldn't get anything to rhyme with syphilis. <laughs> oh, that's a challenge. Like you, you might as well just say Santa's got the shits this year or anything else. <laughs> Okay. All right. Hey, let's listen to another quirky Christmas song from the 1980s. There's an old man on a sleigh who's like me, 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 me just for one day, bestrides the world like a huge colostomy. <laughs> he gets no presents, he gets no fun, and he's forgotten when he's done. So here's a little gift, a song to him from me. Merry, 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 Merry Garbage. So this one's Merry Christmas, Santa Claus. You're a lovely guy. I think the gist of it is that Santa doesn't uh, get the thanks he deserves, and so there's a song that's dedicated to appreciating him. Yeah, listening to Max Headroom talk is bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> listening to him do it in a song was like, oh my God. And this, this is bad. The music video is bizarre. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's Max Headroom, so he's on, on a monitor. But it's kind of funny, actually. I guess they have a TV monitor on a piano bench, so he looks like he's playing the piano. <laughs> yeah. And there's a choir singing with him. So Max Headroom originated in the UK on the BBC, and it was the first TV show there before they uh, came over to the US as its own TV, a different incarnation of the TV show. Um, so after the second season of Max Headroom, or the Max Headroom show on the BBC, they did have this Christmas special, which is not uncommon, actually, in the BBC to run a couple of series and then do a Christmas special. This special Christmas show, which was called uh, Max Headroom's Giant Christmas Turkey, aired on December 26, 1986 in the UK. Only the UK saw it. I don't remember ever seeing this. I'm thankful I never <laughs> saw this because it's hard to listen to this guy sing. I think if they did give this song to an actual band, yeah. hmm. this could have been a pretty good song. Yeah, we could have had, uh, you know, David Johansson doing it or uh, Brian, uh, what's his name, Setzer? Brian Setzer. Give it to George Thorogood. Oh, yeah. Anybody. You know, most surprising to me was this Max Headroom's giant Christmas turkey included appearances from Tina Turner and Robin Williams. Either one of them could have done a better job singing this. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So here's another Christmas song from the 1980s that you may not have forgotten. You may not want to, you may not remind, <laughs> you may not remember. You may wish you have forgotten, right? Oh, that's a good one. Ah, you know what my opinion of this one is. We could have almost played the whole song. <laughs> yeah, that's that's close to the whole song. But. Yeah, it's only forty four seconds long. Of course, that's Christmas by Fear in nineteen eighty two. Yeah, I like that one a lot. That's in my top ten. I was surprised that it's the second single from Fear. <laughs> That the second single the Fear made was a Christmas song. Why not? Apparently it was recorded during the sessions that produced their debut album, the, the record. Um, but it wasn't released until months afterwards. Um, there was also a censored version called Beep Christmas where they you know, <laughs> censored all the profanity that they released uh, for radio airplay. Yeah, I don't remember hearing this one on the radio. Yeah. So, but um, I think it's very tasteful. I think it's mm -hmm. done very classy. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I don't understand why this is not played on the radio every year. It's a lot of people who feel that way. Yeah. Our former guest, uh, Michael Bratt. Yeah. Um, I posted, uh, he's friends with me on Facebook, so I posted my list of my top 10 okay. favorite Christmas songs. And this is on that list. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I was going to play this for my students. Oh. Uh, until I realized that this was on the list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Mike. And then he was like, and then I saw this one on there. Professor, you could play the other nine or play the yeah. beep Christmas if you're worried. Yeah, he could have. Wait a second. He's a professor at a college. They could hear mm-hmm. the F word. I think he was offended by it more oh, than maybe. that. Yeah, maybe. The war on Christmas from Lee Ving. <laughs> and hey, we, we were fortunate enough to speak with Lee Ving earlier this year. You should check out that episode because he spent like an hour and a half talking with us. He was very generous and sang a lot during it. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yep. He was amazing. All right. Here is another Christmas song that if you don't remember, it's because you probably paid someone for therapy or something so you would lose memories of this song. Let me see. We have a scarf for Skywalker, right? Yes. And perfume for the princess? Yes. What about Han Solo? Couldn't we get him here? That leaves one big problem. The what? Couldn't we get him a comb? The song itself is terrible, but that little preamble there with the characters, characters yeah. talking is awful. It's borderline like sci-fi Chipmunks <laughs> album. The only thing I can say that's good about this is no. that it's not Christmas with Satan. That's the only thing I can say about it. All right, so if we were ranking the worst one so far, number one is Christmas with Satan, and yeah. number two is uh, this one. Uh, no, I, I think I have Max Headroom at oh, two. That's two. I think this would be three. Okay. So this is Christmas, uh, I'm sorry, this is what can you get a Wookiee for Christmas, parentheses, when he already <laughs> owns a comb. This is an album from uh, Mecco, who, you know, Mecco had produced... Um, a Star Wars theme with the Cantina band that I had on a 45. He did he did this whole space album where he did that. He did the Close Encounters theme. And they're kind of like disco slash classical music mashups that uh, were popular in the late 70s. Those I love. This is terrible. Uh, it's from the album Christmas in the Stars, Star Wars Christmas album. Most shocking to me is that this album was actually, you know, licensed by uh, George Lucas. Like, I thought this was one of those things that, you know, it was like a fan kind of thing. And um, they just never got sued, maybe. But no, Lucas was behind it. In fact, after the first pressing, they were going to do a second pressing. And George Lucas said, put my name on it as like co-created by. And they said, okay, fine, we'll do that. But then they never they never got to the second pressing of it. Hmm. And thank God. <laughs> also shocking about this, I guess, consistent with the fact that it's kind of an official album, is that Anthony Daniels narrates it as C-3PO. <laughs> yeah. And the sound effects were provided by Ben Burt, who did the sound effects for all the films. So, you know, your Wookiee roars and your R2-D2 whistling and chirps and beeps, that's legit stuff from the man who helped create the film. I, I played this for my kid and he was not impressed at oh. all. <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised. I even tried singing along and mm-hmm. that didn't even like get him on board. So, you know, it's bad when you can't trick an eight-year-old into liking something. <laughs> but it's Star Wars. Come on. You got to like it, buddy. <laughs> Come on. Oh, here's another surprising fact. It reached 69 on the Billboard 100 in 1980. Perhaps there was only like 73 songs that came out. <laughs> and the other three were those other Christmas songs that you <laughs> the hated? The other three were the ones that were absolute garbage. Max Headroom and yeah. 
All right, let me play you another song. Let me see if you know who is singing on this song, which is also from this album, Christmas in the Star, Star Wars Christmas album. And uh, this song is R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Listen to this. Who's this here? We look up at the winter star. We know that's where you are. Our chimney's big and round, so you can come right down. And if I, <laughs> if I was going to guess, because it's Star Wars, mm-hmm. I would say it's John Williams' kid. Oh, wow. See, you're smart at guessing. Like You put these things to me, and I'm like, I don't even know where to go. I have no guess. Just tell me because, the answer. Because... He wrote the Ewok song, so that's why I'm oh, guessing it's right. him. right. Yeah, his son is, is a composer, too, right now, I believe. Yeah. So, no. Actually, he was the lead singer for Toto. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's 100% true. That's blowing my mind. Wow. Here I thought I was providing some trivia to you that you would never imagine, and you just <laughs> blew my mind. So, no, this is the first professional recording of John Bon Jovi. Uh, man, that sucks for him. He sang lead vocals on this song because his cousin Tony uh, produced or co-produced the album at his studio and John was working there sweeping floors at the time and they needed someone to sing and so there you go John Bon Jovi's first song is terrible wow I wonder if he took that to the band and like hey check me out I'm a superstar <laughs> yeah what yeah what's the journey from R2D2 we wish you a Merry Christmas to uh, what? What do you got there? Um, well, they did cover in '87, "Backdoor Santa." Actually, "Backdoor Santa" is a, is a cover, also. That's a whole something song. like Clarence Carter, I think. Yeah, because uh, ba- "Backdoor Santa" is the song that's sampled by Run DMC in "Christmas in Hollis." Okay, hey, let's wash that out of our head uh, by hearing a different song. Merry Christmas! I don't want to fight tonight with. This is my number two favorite Christmas song of all time. Wait a second. Wait a second. You know Hold what number on one a second. Is. <laughs> number one is Mariah yeah. Carey, and number is. two is the Ramones. Well, yeah, that's insane. Yesterday we went to get a Christmas tree, and we went to one of the farm nearby farms here. And on the way, Mariah Carey came up randomly. You know, it was my kids, my wife. Yeah, my mom was randomly. in the car. Randomly, yeah. <laughs> it was on shuffle. Actually, my wife was DJing at the time, but that's what came on. And I said. This is Mr. Ray's favorite song. And everyone literally at the same time went, (gasps) no, you're kidding. I was like, no. I can listen to that song all day long, but I can listen to this one all day long too. I love it. Well, this is Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight tonight by Ramones because I just learned that there is no the in their name. It's just Ramones. Hmm. It was released on 1989's Brain Drain, which also I was surprised includes another favorite of yours, Pet Cemetery. Yeah, that's a good one too. Otherwise, this album is kind of regarded as one of the low points of... uh, Ramon's uh, career. I, I I absolutely disagree with that, and wow. I know people that that's one of their favorite Ramon's albums. So it has I, a they have a great cover of uh, Palisade Park on mm-hmm. that album. And I think the issue that most people take with it is that you know you don't have the original lineup anymore. Uh, Didi's barely on this album. I think this is he's leaving while Marky's coming back because he was fired a few years before <laughs> yeah. this. What what people don't understand about the Ramones is that there's like almost entire albums that none of them were on except Joey. 
like there's so many studio musicians who helped them out over the years. So yeah. And Joey's the heart, right? I mean, he's writing the songs, he's singing the songs. Uh, yeah. Johnny writes most of the guitar work and right. DD. They write a lot of the songs and then Joey's the voice. Yeah. I don't think this song works if anyone else sings it. That's what makes it uh, a beautiful song. You know, even at the beginning there, he's saying Merry Christmas, first two words of the song. And somehow he made Christmas, which is only two syllables, into like a 14-syllable <laughs> word. I would suggest go back and listen to him say the word massacre <laughs> on uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. They, they have a song about that. I don't know where the hell he came up with his pronunciation yeah. of it, but he made it rhyme with me. Wow. <laughs> All right, I got to check that out. Yeah. I saw one commentator online saying that this song, you know, again, the name is, uh, the title is Merry Christmas. I don't want to fight tonight as a message from Joey to Johnny. Yeah, there's a lot of subliminal shit between the two of them and a lot of their songs like that. Somehow, even though they were sort of arch enemies, they found a way to work together. Yeah, well, you can't make money unless you're mm. writing songs and touring. And this all comes back to a girl. Oh. Johnny yeah. took the girl Joey liked. And then he ended up writing the song, The KKK Took My Baby Away. Oh. That one's also about Johnny. Is that right? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Should we cut any of these out as we go here? No, we, we can squeeze them. We can do it. We love Christmas. Only second to Halloween. That's right. And Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Mm. So wait, is Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas? Yeah. If, if Christmas had turkey, ah. then it would trump Thanksgiving. You're, you're, you're favoring uh, Thanksgiving over Christmas is almost as shocking to me as Mariah Carey over Ramones. <laughs> Dude, that song's addictive. It's like crack. Mm. It's not a bad song. I don't, I, and it's funny because I never get sick of it. Mm -hmm. I walk into a store and it's playing yeah. and I don't even care. I'm just singing along and having fun with it. I that love is, that song. That is the most surprising part to me that you don't get sick of it. All right. So here's another Christmas song that uh, you may have forgotten or it's unusual or crazy or whatever we're calling this. It's Christmas at Ground Zero. <laughs> There's panic in the crowd. We can dodge debris while we trim the tree underneath the mushroom cloud. So this song was probably a lot funnier in 1986. It's still funny today. Well, this is Christmas at Ground Zero by Weird Al. It's the final track on Polka Party. So his uh, record label had pressured him to make a Christmas album. Then he made this song and they said, you know what? Actually, we're good. We don't need a yeah. Christmas Yeah, uh, you album. stick to what you do. Yeah. This is, it was a little different than what they were expecting. But uh, he uh, went out and made a music video using clips of different, uh, you know, post or, or rather Cold War, you know, footage of folks being scared of the atomic bomb, mm -hmm. uh, duck and cover and all that. And uh, ultimately, the record label conceded and uh, decided to release this track after all. But look, folks don't understand that ground zero just generally means the sight of something bad happening. <laughs> and it's too associated with 9-11 now that, you know, hearing a song about it's Christmas at ground zero, we're fleeing from debris takes on a whole other meaning than it did in 1986 when we were still worried about nuclear holocaust. Yeah, but if you watch the video, it's clearly hilariously about mushroom clouds and the duck and cover in the hallway stuff yeah. that would never work in a nuclear yeah. you know, explosion. I find this song to be hilarious and it should also be in everyone's top uh, at least 15. Mm. At least makes the top 15. Wow, that's high. Apparently after 2001, when we had the tragic attack of 9-11, uh, radio play for the song just tanked. Uh, and Weird Al himself said, quote, the sad part is I really can't play the song live anymore because too many people misunderstand the connotations of ground zero, end quote. So, yeah, let's see. Here is another one. What do we got here? How about this one? Grandma got run over by a reindeer. 
from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe <laughs> What do you, do you like this song? I had this on uh, 45 when I was oh. a kid. I love this song. Um, it, it's still okay. I don't mind it. Yeah. Um, you know, if it was on the radio, I might change the channel. It, it's no Mariah Carey, but I looked at a bunch of, of greatest Christmas songs of all time, top 100s, okay? Mm-hmm. This song is ranked in the 20s on almost every list. Wow. Which I thought was crazy. So, well, I guess taking a step back, it is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Probably doesn't need any introduction, except that it was written by Randy Brooks and performed by husband and wife, well, they were then married at the time, Elmo and Patsy Shropshire. It was first released in 1979, but to little fanfare, nobody noticed it at that time. It was only after they re-recorded and re-released it in 1982 as a single uh, that that version is the one that were, that you just heard that took off and became a chart-topping holiday hit. To your point about how popular it was, I suppose, I saw that uh, in an interview with Elmo Shropshire, who sounds like a cartoon character, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. In 1983, he sold his veterinarian hospital, so he's a vet, and he invested $30,000 of the money in a music video uh, for, the, for the song, uh, which was shot in his home. The video aired on MTV by December, of ni- December 24th of 1983, and at that point, it beat White Christmas for number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, it was picked up by Epic Records in 1984, and, at least according to Shropshire, I didn't double-check this, it outsold Thriller in December of that year. That's tough to believe, yeah. but if he said it, it's probably true. Mm. This song is not without controversy. I was kind of surprised, <laughs> but you know, I, could, I could already hear you scoffing in my head when I was reading this. Two two points of contention. I, I came across an article that's that uh, where they did a deep dive into the song, a couple of university professors pointing out that... Uh, during this time in the 1980s, it was, uh, it was a, during a second wave of uh, feminism. And they suggest that the wide popularity of the song, which depicts you know, violence against a woman, <laughs> may uh, be part of the negative reaction to feminism. I wish you could hear Ray's eye rolls. I wish they made a sound. I, I'm, I'm rubbing my head to see how I want to handle this. <laughs> he's he's All right, so the, the song is about grandma got drunk and yep. wandered out into the snow and got hit by Santa. Mm-hmm. So how is that anti-feminism? I, Come on. What, yep. what college are these professors from? I'd like to this know. This was the University of Alberta. In Canada? Yeah, pop culture and music experts. That's what they were. Well, they don't know <laughs> about music, I'll tell you that. They need to <laughs> get a new career. So this was, they're doing this analysis, you know, in the last you know few years looking back. But during its time, the song was considered controversial too to some groups. And I came across a story that Dr. Shropshire tells of, you know, the song started getting some little attention, but their big break came when they appeared at a club and a large crowd called the Grey Panthers <laughs> showed up to picket the performance, calling the song ageist, sexist, and violent. So this is a group of elderly folks, you know. Ah, man, one of my biggest regrets about being in music was I never had people outside picketing me. <laughs> And I've wrote way more offensive mm. songs than this. That's right, Great Panthers. You wouldn't have so, been offending the right groups. No, I should have. I should have been ageist. Mm. Yeah, I might have been. I don't even remember. Uh, for his part, Doctor Shropshire says this: the signature, his signature song, was more about proving that Santa exists than Grandma succumbing to a hit and run reindeer. I don't know. The song is funny. Grandma gets all liquored up, gets hit by a, a you know, Santa Claus, gets killed, and 
uh, the best line in the song is is when he's in the the watching football. Yeah, and just like it's a normal normal thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's listen to another offbeat 1980s Christmas song. Now, baby doll, sweet pie, sugar plum, honey bun, angel face, you know you better be good. Act like true fine love should Be careful what you say and do Cause Santa Claus is watching you He's everywhere, he's everywhere you So yeah, that's uh, Santa Claus is Watching You by Ray Stevens from 1985. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, Ray Stevens, uh, he was both known as a country singer, you know, Grammy Award winning singer-songwriter, one of his classic mm-hmm. songs I love is a cover of Misty that came out in the 1970s. Oh, I thought you were going to say The Streak. Well, as I was gonna say, but he's also known for silly <laughs> things like The Streak. Yeah, so were you one of those little kids who would sing The Streak and run around your house naked? No, I didn't run around naked, but I did sing the song because they played it on Big Chuck and Little John here mm-hmm. in Cleveland, Ohio, for those you don't know, because yeah. obviously I've never mentioned that I'm from Ohio oh, on no. the show. But, but uh, yeah, they played it on Big Chuck and Little John a lot. So I would, we'd sing that all the time, me and my brothers. Yeah. I can't remember who it was telling me a story that they would sing the song and they would, you know, like five years old or something and they'd run through the hallway <laughs> naked. Yeah, I don't remember who told me that story. I'm guessing if I was going to guess one of your friends, I'd say Don Ape. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't, he probably wasn't five though at the time. He's probably <laughs> 25. He might be doing it right now. Yeah. Of course this song is, you know, it's, it's like a parody of a 1950s song. It has a similar chord progression and arrangement. It sounds kind of like the coaster's yakety yak, the melody. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because, well, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, I don't know what you'd say. I know you can see if I can, let's see if we can hear. I got to get a sound effect for you when you roll your eyes so people know what's happening. But <laughs> is the, this another one of them times where you're going to say it's anti feminist? Well, it's something. Uh, yeah, I think, or maybe misogynistic, or I don't know. Oh, I'm, trying to think of a, I'm trying to think of a way to describe it. But for folks who didn't know what he was singing, you better kiss and hold me tight and give me good love in every night because you'll be sorry if you make me blue because Santa Claus is watching you. Yeah. So you got to put out. Otherwise, Santa will come and murder you? I don't know. He's basically saying if you're not nice to me, yeah. you don't get no presents for Christmas. Mm. Oh, I see. Huh. I don't know if that's so, any better. I, I don't know, but that's basically what he's saying. And but, but then if you watch the video, it's even funnier because mm. at the end, Santa ends up down the chimney with his girlfriend yep. and the cops are arresting him while Santa's in the house with his girl. Well, look, Santa was watching her. He was. <laughs> it could be some kind of tie into that. They might be giants. So. <laughs> it could be. That would have been great if that's where they got the song from. Yeah. So I, I added the song at the end only because I realized we didn't have any hip hop songs. But Yeah, I thought there was only one hip hop Christmas song. No, there's just, so yeah. So folks know, of course, uh, Christmas in Hollis, which is huge. We don't even have to play it. That's why it's, you know, too well-known, right? Yeah, well, the, the great part about that is is that it dominated the, the collection album it was on because it was mm. an original version, and a lot of them other artists just half-assed it and did cover versions, and then they busted that thing out and just... Right. Everybody's like, if I'd known they were going to do that, I would have tried a lot harder to write a Christmas song. Yeah, what was that? What is that? That wasn't Do They Know they It's Christmas. What was that? Uh, no, it's a... It's a dumb, I think it's red with the little white. Yeah, I had it. Front. We had it on yeah. CD when I was a kid. Yeah, the, the that's the one thing I remember about that album is is Run DMC. Yeah. Because everything else was run of the mill, just standard Christmas crap. And then that comes on and you're like, whoa, man, that's good. Yeah, I remember like 
you know, we would be, I don't know, celebrating Christmas or decorating or something. And I would just run back to the CD player and like hit back to play it again, <laughs> driving my family crazy. Yeah. And I say this and now I'm realizing if it was a CD, I had to be like 18 years old. Hmm. Look, there's a few, there's several. Well, so a song we have coming up uh, actually is uh, sort of a, a play on uh, a 1979 song that came out. That's a rap song. That's not 1980s. But no, the other rap song that I'm thinking of is Santa's rap from the 1984 film Beach Street which was performed by Treacherous 3, which uh, among the Treacherous 3 that you know is Cool Mo D. Oh, okay. Uh, this is before he was had gone solo. And there's this really hilarious scene in the film where they perform this rap talking about what how it is to celebrate Christmas in their neighborhood, which is them getting, you know, sort of knockoff presents or nothing. But but he also sings about one particular present that he gets. And I always thought this is the, the best part of the song. Uh, here, take a lesson. That ain't a G.I. Joe, that's a G.I. Jerk with a Kung Fu grip that don't even work. So all I did was just put him away because my G.I. Joe looks G.I. gay. So why you don't get presents now? Because you're just in grace. G.I. Joe's gay, what difference does it make? After all, he's just a doll, ain't too much he can do. If you ask me, boy, I ain't too sure about you. Listen, Blodo, with your big fat suit. Next time, say no, don't send no substitute because I asked you for a beatbox and you know what I got? Dougie Fresh, you know that kid from down the block? Yeah, it's awesome. That's uh, that is some typical '80s lyrics right there, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. But yeah, my favorite moment is when they he says that he asked for a beatbox. You know what I got, Dougie Fresh. You know that kid from down <laughs> yeah. the block. And Dougie Fresh's head pops out and he starts beatboxing. Uh, <laughs> yep. Anyway, so you're telling me Dougie Fresh <laughs> and Cool Mo D were in the same band at one point or same group? No, they weren't. They just appeared in this scene together. So. It's okay. Cool Modi's group, Treacherous 3, Dougie Fresh, who hadn't made his solo album or hadn't been with the Get Fresh crew yet, just appears in this one moment. All right. Okay. That makes sense then. Um, so yeah, speaking of hip hop songs though, so my favorite, maybe my favorite Christmas song, certainly in the top two or three, is this one. I mean, I just hear that beginning and I just already love it. I love that new wave sound of the early 1980s. So that's Christmas Rapping by The Waitresses, written by Chris Butler, who uh, had formed, created the group and, and sung by uh, Patty Donahue. This song is on that same album, A Christmas Record, from ZE Records that features Christmas with Satan. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so- the waitresses were on their first release in 81 and they, they survived the cut to 82 when in 82, they, you know, lost some songs to make room for that garbage we listened to earlier, but, um, waitresses survived and for good reason. Cause that song is actually really good. Yeah. That is a great song and it would be on square pegs mm -hmm. and yeah, that one's another one that I like. I don't know if it makes my top 10, but it makes my top five. I think at least mm. there's something about it. I think it's that new wave sound of the eighties, which are just so fun to me. I liked, uh, you know, Patty Donahue seeing her in the videos and including, uh, I know what boys like square. Yes, I like that. I like that song a lot. Yeah. I mean, she's just, I don't know. She was adorable. She's no longer with us. She died when she was only 40 years old. <laughs> Way um, to bring the, the show down. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Donahue family. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but the song, you know, was written by Chris Butler, who brought the, the band together, created the band. Um, and he assembled it from using just a bunch of riffs that he had left over from songs that he didn't, you know, didn't use or otherwise uh, 
turn into full-fledged songs. Another thing I like about it is that it's, the story is like a kind of, kind of realistic story. You know, it's more like um, the Ramones song or even thinking about, you know, leaving a uh, fear. You know, it's, it's a Christmas song, but it's not about 100% about being jolly. It's this woman who's saying, I might skip Christmas this year because, you know, why bother, basically. Now at the end, things work out and everything's cool. But I don't know. There's something about that aspect of it that makes it more charming to me, I guess. Yeah, I just think they sat around and were like, we are the most clever people in the entire world. Mm. Christmas rapping. The title is perfect. Right. And then, and then they're like, huh, well, I forgot to write a rap song out of it. <laughs> that was a mistake, but hey, it, it turned out great. So, well, you say that, and I know you're joking, but the the title of the song is actually a play on a, the song that I was alluding to earlier that came out in 1979, which is a song by Curtis Blow, which is called "Christmas Rappin'," mm-hmm. spelled the way you'd expect. And Chris Butler wrote the song to be like a rap song. If you you know, Patty Donahue kind of talks it. Oh yeah, you know, it's not really a singing song. So he was really writing a rap song, which were, you know, just were starting to get popular then in the early 1980s. I was surprised to learn that I Know What Boys Like and Christmas Rapping both failed to chart in the United States. Wow, because I Know What Boys Like was on MTV like every three minutes when it first came out. Now, the Christmas Rapping song did reach number 45 in the UK, but um, yeah, no, nowhere to be found. (laughs) Now, Now, final question. Do you know where the waitresses are from? I'm assuming Ohio. Yes! <laughs> Akron, Ohio. Yeah. I thought you would have known that for sure. Yeah, well, that's where the pretenders are from. and Sure. Devo. Devo, and- yeah. In fact, these guys probably came up at the same time as Devo. Oh, and I guess Chrissy Hine, too. Yeah. Hey, I wasn't surprised to learn that so many unique songs about Christmas were in the 1980s because the 1980s birthed so much, uh, you know, unique uh, everything. But many of these songs I didn't remember. But I don't know if we proved anything about the 1980s. Well, you know it did. I don't know. We have proven oh. beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's confident. That Christmas music in the 80s yep. could be from any genre, mm. and it was still really good or really bad. <laughs> yes, if anything, the 80s was about extremes. All right, hey, we will talk to you next time on The 80s. See ya. See ya.